0: What is powerful about this chapter 12, the first 11 chapters begin with the creation narrative. So God on the first day begins to create and at the end of the first day God looks and says this is good, this is good. On the second day God creates I don't know if God borrowed this line from Norm Shoemaker or if Pastor Norm borrowed it from God, but it's good. It's just good. I think of this passage every time I hear him say that. But days three, four, five, and six, God creates and creates and creates and looks on it all and says, it's good. And then he turns it over to humankind. Oh man. (laughs) This interesting experiment in human freedom where men and women grab at God's sovereignty, wanting to be like God, grabbing for knowledge that they think will make them more like God, grabbing for power that they think will make them more like God, making choices, moving in directions. Trying to pull down God's sovereignty and elevate their own Godlikeness. And so Adam and Eve, as a result of those choices, are pushed out of a paradise where relationship with God was like walking in a garden. But no, they wanted to be like God. And it got worse. The family unit began to fall apart as brother turned on brother. Circumstances began to fall apart and resulted in the kind of evil that I'm not sure we even understand, though we might catch glimpses of it today. The end result of which was a flood came and wiped out humankind except for Noah and Noah's family. Feels like a new beginning, a new start, but they had hardly landed on dry ground and they get out of the boat before that family unit starts falling apart and makes poor decisions. And once again, humankind starts grabbing at this sovereignty of God, trying to find their place, making decisions that lead to the culmination in chapter 11 where they're trying to build a tower to the heavens so that they might, it seems, be enthroned in the heavens just like God. They're scattered. Language is confused. Go in different directions. It seems as if this entire experiment in human freedom has had disastrous ends... And we really ought to go another route. From a human perspective, it just seems like that entire theory, that hypothesis, that way of looking at the world is a dead end street. Let's go a different direction. God has different eyesight than we do, thanks be to God. But an interesting approach wherein the midst of humanity, God focuses in on one. Abram. And calls out to Abram and says, Abram, go. Go from your country, go from your people, go from your father's household to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And all those who curse you, I will curse them. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And Abram went. This notion... That God would select an individual and through this individual to produce a people, and through these people that God might show God's grace and character and allow God's kingdom to be seen. This is God's plan. I love Beekner's description of Abraham. Abraham is described by Beekner in one of his writings. He says, if a shlemiel is a person who goes through life spilling soup on people, and a shlamazel is the one who keeps getting soup spilled upon, then Abraham was certainly a shlamazel. It all began when God told him to go to the land of Canaan. And upon arriving, his nephew or son-in-law, Lot, chose the beautiful, bountiful southern portion of this rich land. And Abraham was left with the scrub country up north around Dead Man's Gulch. The worst of the worst arid area. To make matters worse... He was promised to be this father of great nations and come to find out his wife can't have any babies. When he finally, against all odds, receives his son, it appears as if God's going to take that son away just to see if Abraham's money is where his mouth is. And from that day on, it seems that Abraham was a bundle of tears at the drop of a hat, and never quite had much of a strong, good relationship with his son. But Buechner notes that in spite of everything, Abraham never stopped having faith that God was going to keep his promise. Through all circumstances, this was the dream that he wrote upon as he went to sleep each night. The dream of a great nation, of armies that were ready, of kings with long curly beards. This was the dream that God had given to him. In fact, there was a group photograph he had taken not long before he died. Buechner has a wonderful way of putting a modern spin on ancient stories. A group photograph he had taken of his family at a bar mitzvah. And they were all there down to the last poor relation. They weren't a great nation yet by any stretch of the imagination. No, not by a long shot. But you'd never know it from the way Abraham sat there enthroned in his red velvet robe with grandchildren sitting on his lap and soup on his tie. Even through his thick lenses, you can read the look of faith in his eye. And more than all the kosher meals, the ethical culture societies, the achievements of Maimonides, Einstein, Kissinger, it was that look that God loved him for and had chosen him for in the first place. We might hear Abraham saying, "'They will all be winners, God willing. Even the losers will be winning winners. They'll all get their names up in lights,' say the old Shamazel's eyes." Someday, who knows when, I'll be talking about my son, the light of the world. Abraham. In his 70s. I'm not sure why God chose Abraham. God has God's reasons for God's choices. It appears as if Abraham was one of those ones in whom God could trust. And conversely, it seems obvious that Abraham found that he could trust God. This is a journey that Abraham's called to make that's not just an outward journey, though it is certainly that. And this journey calls Abraham to leave that which is known. His country. That which is familiar, his people. And that which is secure, his father's household. And to go where? To a land that God will show him. The unknown. A call to leave aside all of those things, as he does for us, that give us security, give us identity, give us a place Give us a name. And says to Abraham, as he says to us, come follow me. You can trust in me. It's both this outward journey to the unknown, but it certainly includes this inward journey for Abraham. And it's a journey for us as well. A journey to the places we do not yet know but a place of promise. And any place God leads, God will be, and there is God's kingdom. The promised land is relationship with our creator. What an incredible promise. So for Abraham, it called him to move. For all of us who were to follow, it calls us to take a journey. It may be outward, but it's always inward as well. A journey to leave that which gives us identity. Which gives us security. And says to put all of our faith, all of our security, all of our trust in the one who knows us best. Loves us most. And wants us to be all that we were created to be. And it says at the very beginning of verse 4. And Abram went. This is a really crucial piece. A turning point, if you will, for both Testaments. Abraham, the patriarch of Judaism. Patriarch of Christianity. A patriarch of the Islam faith. This is the one in whom we see a faith that brings about God's kingdom when we place our trust in God and follow faithfully. So what is this promise? Promise is really startling to me. I I remember when I heard it again for the first time. It was through one of the former pastors here at the church, Mark Otto. He made reference to this passage and he talked about Abraham being blessed, and then the rest of the passage saying, And you will be a blessing. Abram will be blessed, and through you all peoples of the earth will be blessed. Blessed to bless. I went back after hearing that, startled that I had read it a number of times and never really let it sink in, and looked at the passage and said, to myself exactly that's exactly what it says it is a call on us to allow god's blessing to come and to flow through us for god's blessing to be poured on us but not for it to become an end just to us but to pass through us to others because when it doesn't pass through us to others it becomes stagnant it has the potential to become toxic I shared with you about a year and a half ago one of my great endeavors at home improvement that um, will never get written up in any kind of manual or article on do-it-yourself at home repair. I realize that, but the one that I think I shared with um, many of you that are here was the time that the clothes washer busted. And I know that there are Maytag repairmen that are just waiting for the phone call. They just want you to call because they've got the skills to do that. There are more people that have been trained in all of the things to do, but I've got the internet and YouTube. <laughs> so I just typed in repair clothes washing machine and up comes this great little guy who's wearing the gray outfit so you know he knows what he's talking about. Little name tag on the top up here, and he introduces himself and says, let me walk you through how to repair your washing machine. Well, this is great. I just put him right on the dryer, and I take my tools, and I never have the right tools, but I've got tools. And I look at the thing, and he says, first issue is how to get the front off of the washing machine, which was my first problem before I went to YouTube. I was trying to get the top off. Didn't know you get the front off. Top doesn't come off. That's why I had no success for a long afternoon. Then I got YouTube. Take off the front. And it's really not all that complicated. not like a car engine. There's a big tub. And then there are some things down at the bottom. I'm not sure what they are, but... A lot of them have screws and twist tie kinds of things, and you can just unscrew them, and they come apart. Well, prior to this, I was trying to figure out what was wrong with it. I mean, it was simple. There was a tub full of water, and the water wasn't going anywhere, and it stopped. So I figured it was out of balance, and we talk about balance all the time. So this is going to make a great example of how to get things back in balance, but getting wet clothes out of a tub of water is just a mess. I got them all out and made a mess on the floor, and then I started draining all of the water out, first the buckets, then the smaller cups, and then the sponges, till I got it down to the bottom. And then I did the little twist thing to the drum to make sure that the drum was working fine. And I figured I had just freed it up. Something had gotten it snagged because it was turning just fine. So I turn it back on. And it fills up with water and you wait for it to do that little ch 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 kind of a thing. I'm never going to do that again for you. So you, if you missed it that moment, <laughs> that's the last time I'm doing that. And I figured it's working just fine because it did that thing that I just did. So I stuffed all of the clothes back into the water. And at the end of its chushing around, you wait for the push, where it just leaves the tub. And it stopped again. Ah! Thought I had it fixed. Drained it one more time. Got it down to the bottom. Tried to figure everything that I could figure out to make it work. Foolishly, I gave it a third shot. Filled it up with water again. (laughs) Same thing. Nothing swooshes out. So for the third time, I drained the whole thing. And that's when I got my repair man, and we started taking this thing apart. And I just... Anything that had screws, it came apart and undid things until finally, and if you keep track of the order in which you do those things, you have a good chance, like 80%, of getting it back together the way you undid it. I found that my own fault in the last load that we had done, I included like a a pad that goes into the bottom of the dog cage that had these little beads stuffing on the inside. Unbeknownst to me, the dog had torn open this thing and all of those beads had come out. And they, at the last, had gone to the thing at the bottom and had so clogged up that rubber tubing that nothing could get through. It was stuck completely. And so, for me, this machine that is supposed to let go of all that's inside, nothing could go anywhere. It was stopped. All of the junky stuff that came out of the clothes stayed right there. It was toxic. It was not what you wanted. It couldn't flow. That's exactly what happens to some of us when the blessings that God pours out on us get stuck and don't flow through us. At first, there's a bit of blessing that takes place, but if it doesn't flow through us, God can't pour more because it fills up. Not only can God not pour in more, but those around us aren't blessed. As Scripture says to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. That can't happen if it doesn't flow through us. It's like a canister that's open on both ends. If it's stuck on the bottom, it fills up and nothing more can fill it up. If it's open on the bottom, you might think, yeah, but I can't hold on to anything, God. And God says, well, you can't hold on to all the blessings anyway. There's more than you could ever contain. So keep the bottom open so that it might flow through. And in flowing through, I will pour myself out on you so that not only are you blessed, but people around you are blessed. You'd think at a moment like this, where we're talking about prayer and fasting in this month, talking about giving, that it'd be nice to go quickly two chapters later, chapter 14, verse 20. That's that great passage where Abraham comes across Melchizedek, both the priest and the king, and gives, Abraham gives a tenth, a tithe, of all he has to Melchizedek. And in this moment, it would be great to speak about the giving of all that we have and the ways in which that sets a precedent for God's people to follow. But I don't think that chapter 14, verse 20 makes any sense at all until you understand Genesis chapter 12, the notion of blessing. So how is it that God has blessed us? I would offer first God's blessing on us is forgiveness. I've I've been forgiven. I've been cleansed of all that I've done wrong. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says that love keeps no account of wrongs. God is love. God has not kept an account of my wrongdoing. There's not some scorecard in his back pocket. As soon as I mess up, he's going to pull that out and says, okay, let's review the scorecard. What if, what if that blessing of forgiveness flowed through me to bless others? What if I kept no scorecard? What if God's children kept no scorecard? The relationships we're in. You know, we're not going to use that against someone we're in a relationship with, but just in case he or she brings it up, I'll be ready because I'd like to respond and list and kind of even the score. No, no scorecard. What if we passed that blessing on? What's God's blessing to me? Patience. I have to confess that probably I have apologized more to God for the necessity of God's patience than anything else for which I've apologized. God, I'm sorry that once again I'm asking for your patience with me as I mess up and screw up. And it's been God's incredible blessing on my life over and over again his expressions of patience with how I live my journey what if that blessing flowed through me and the characteristic of patience exemplified God's kingdom so that people around me might be blessed by patience how else will they see it unless it flows through you grace unmerited favor with my humanity. Unmerited love of God. That's my blessing. If you've not received new life in Christ, that's God's blessing on you. New life. That's how we've been blessed. What if that blessing flowed through us? so that all people might be blessed in that same way. That's the call on Abraham. That's the call on you and me. So, how about you? How have you been blessed? Blessed with some of your talents and skills? Blessed with an incredible percussion skill? Blessed with the ability to play guitar? Blessed with the incredible ability to play keyboards? Blessed with the ability to sing? Do you bottle that up? Or have you been blessed to be a blessing? It's not just here. The skills you have in your vocation, your ability to talk with people, your ability to understand a crowd, your skills in academics, in teaching, in medicine, in care. That blessing is given to you to be poured out through you, to be given extravagantly, because God pours extravagantly on us. When we start to bottle that up, we can't hold anymore. The container fills up, and it's done. And when it becomes stagnant, When forgiveness no longer flows through us, Scripture teaches us what happens. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you don't forgive those who sin against you, how can I forgive you? Forgiveness has become stagnant. No longer do you even feel or sense God's forgiveness in your life. It's become toxic to you until it flows through you. Then it becomes this amazing cleansing, this amazing power of God's grace. Poured out on us that others might catch a glimpse. Rabbi Rashni is heard often to say that the reason the Jewish people look up to the sky and the stars at night, much like Abraham is called here, as he considers the numerous descendants, the rabbi says that it's because we look up and we see that we are lights in the darkness. And as long as there is darkness, our job's not yet done. But we're called to be lights into all of those places because we're God's children and in being God's children we've got a call to let the blessings pour through us Genesis 14:20 only makes sense in terms of giving of our resources and our wealth and our financial blessing if we understand it, that our entire life blessed by God needs to be a vessel through which This flows. You've been given the gift of freedom. Do you take up the banner for those who have experienced no freedom? Do you look for places where people are trapped and ignore it and say, well, I hope they figure it out? Or do you use the freedom that you have to be a voice To help others experience the same thing, we have a certain level of influence. There are some people who have virtually no influence. We've been blessed with that. Do you use your influence in a way to help others who have no voice? We're blessed to be a blessing. We have a right to vote. We have a right to participate. We've been blessed with resources that others don't have. Do we bottle that up and save it for a rainy day and watch it get toxic? Or do we look up to God and say, God, thanks for letting me be your partner flow through me. Let me follow in the steps of Abraham. Receive your blessing so that others might be blessed. Some of you embody that truth. This morning as we hear that truth, may we be drawn into godliness and God's character that we might be vessels, light through which the kingdom of God comes. God offers us the blessing of new life, of grace, of peace. This morning, will you be a vessel of new life, of God's grace and peace? I'm going to invite our musicians to come. We're going to sing. I want to pray you listen to the Spirit. May the Spirit move you as to how your life might come alongside Abraham's life. And that we might be people of Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. And that we might respond like verse 4. And Abram went. Let's journey together to God's promised land for us. Father, may Your Spirit minister to us as we sing these songs. May You move in our heart and draw us to a place where we, probably at times with reluctance and great difficulty, leave all of those things that have grown to identify us Our inward country. (laughs) Our people. Our household. Not to turn our back on our family, but to place our dependence and our trust in you. Lead us to a land of promise. A land of relationship. A land that embodies your kingdom. So that all might be blessed through our obedience. Thank you, Father. Join as we sing together and as we give together.